0: This program is sponsored by North Valley Church of Christ. There's a message true and glad for the sinful and the sad. Ring it out, ring it out, ring it out. It It will give them courage new, it will help them to be true. Ring it out, ring it out, ring it out, ring it it out. out. Good afternoon, folks, and welcome back to another episode of Redeeming the Time. I'm your host, Chris Macy, and I'm the minister here with the North Valley Church of Christ. Merry Christmas. Well, Merry Christmas Eve, really. I hope everything's going well. I hope you're not stuck in your car driving at this time, but that maybe you're already with family and enjoying the time. Things are going great. I pray for this for everybody. And if not, please find the joy uh, in the scripture that you are desperately looking for. Revelation chapter 20. Yeah, I'm not going to do a Christmas lesson. I I thought about it, but I think I want to keep going on with Revelation and finishing this up before 2020 arrives. So we're going to be taking a look at the chapter 20 of Revelation. I don't know if I'll get through the whole thing or not, but we will certainly try. Now, in this passage, I think the key to organizing this material is that 1,000 years. We're going to see that mentioned here in a moment. And there are some things that happen before the 1,000 years. That's verses 1 through 3. Things that occur during the 1,000 years. That's verses 4 through 6. And then what occurs after the 1,000 years. That's verses 7 through 10. In verses 11 through 15, we have another vision of judgment. Now, I know that there are a lot of folks out there that see the 1,000 year literally, as some uh, kind of reign of Christ on earth or before his return or or whatever it might be in the premillennialist idea. But let me show you some of my thoughts, and I'll let you gnaw on that for a little bit. Let's start by reading verses 1 through 3 first. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding the key of the abyss and a great chain, In his hand. And he laid hold of the dragon, the serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. And he threw him into the abyss, and shut it, and sealed it over him, so that he would not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were completed. After these things, he must be released for a short time time okay so here's an angel again uh, we are confronted with the possibility that this is christ of all the angels seen in revelation this one may come the closest to a christ interpretation but i think the lord is not depicted as an angel that's my opinion certainly the angels of god exhibit more power than satan we can see that from revelation 20 verse 7 This one has the key of the abyss. Uh, That's that's authority. Having a key means you have authority over the abyss. The abyss is a place reserved for Satan and his followers. It may be a vision of hell itself. Maybe. Mm, I don't know. Uh, You got the chain. That's a symbol of binding Satan. Uh, Remember, this is just a vision, not a literal chain. But a specific interpretation may not be possible. Uh, Many different things work together together. To hinder and bind Satan. One would be the gospel, Romans one sixteen. You had the faith of the saints, first John five four. Christ coming, Luke ten, seventeen to twenty, and first John three eight, and Christ's death, Hebrews two, fourteen to sixteen, and many other things. Well all these things work together to hinder to bind Satan. Now we we'll, we'll get more into that as we get along. Let's look at verse two. You got the dragon. John interprets the dragon for us. That's uh, Satan. He's bound. Uh, by being bound, the devil is hindered, limited in what he can do. Over in chapter 12, we saw him virtually defeated. And in chapter 13, we see him employing allies or agencies through whom he works. Being bound forces him to work through the sea beast and the land beast. You see what I'm saying? The binding, going back to the to chapter 12 and 13... That's already occurred. He's bound there. And we're just kind of looking at that here again. He's bound there, and so he has to work through a, another way to affect us. And let's, now let's look at that thousand years, first mentioned here in verse 2. The entire time of Satan's limiting, that's the thousand years, it is a symbol of complete time. 1000 is derived from the perfect cube. We would say 10 by 10 by 10. And if you multiply those together, you get a thousand. 10 times 10 is a hundred times 10 is a thousand. Not a literally thousand years. The binding of Satan seems to have occurred in the Christ event. We would have to conclude that this thousand years is the entire gospel age. Millennium means a thousand years. And this is where some get the millennialist doctrine of Christ reigning for a thousand years on earth. I don't believe that's what's going on here at all. I think we are currently living in the thousand years. It's not a literal years. It's just depicting the age, the complete gospel age, Christian age. Verse 3. Uh, Not deceiving the nations any longer. The binding of Satan has limited his personal powers. It does not mean that he is dead and his influence is no longer felt on earth. He just doesn't have the free reign on earth that he once had. For example, he cannot utilize demons in possessing men as he once could. Though he himself is limited, he can still work through his earthly servants. Sea and land beast, hello, and you he can do that to deceive and win men. Now, what about this release? Well, the purpose in releasing is not stated here in verse 3. We'll see it in verses 7 and 8. But only that it will be a short time, meaning he won't have long to accomplish his purpose. In reality, the releasing will bring about the fulfillment of God's purpose for him. Judgment. And so we'll, we'll look at that when we get over there. So let's look at verses four through six. So, so we looked at thing here's before the thousand years, verses one through three. Now let's look at during the thousand years, where we're at today. Verse four, thrones and judgment. Uh, that's just denoting ruling powers. They must refer to those described in uh, in this verse as being you know, Christians. Uh, souls of those who had been beheaded, a designation for Christian martyrs. Those who had not worshipped, a designation for faithful Christians, even though not martyred. They came to life and reigned. Interesting. In the Greek, it is literally, they lived, reigned. That's what it is. This is not a reference to a physical resurrection. Yet it is called the first resurrection in verse 5. The life referred to here is spiritual life. You know what? I don't think I've read this passage yet. I'm sorry. Let me read verses 4, 5, and 6. Then I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was given to them. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony of Jesus and because of the word of God, and those who had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received the mark on their forehead and on their hand, and they came to life and reigned with Christ for. A thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were completed. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who has a part in the first resurrection. Over these, the second death has no power. But they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. All right? So let me get back to what I was saying. So they they came to life and they reigned. The life here is talking about the spiritual life that Christ came to give. It is obtained, how? Well, I think we all know the answer, by obedience to the gospel. Those who prescribe to the millennialist theory or view, of course, believe that this is a reference to a Christian-only resurrection that will occur in what has been called a rapture. They believe that all Christians will be resurrected and taken up to meet Christ and will be out of harm's way for seven years, during which a tribulation will occur on earth. They further believe that after the tribulation, Christ and his people will return to earth and reign for exactly 1,000 years, after which the wicked will be resurrected Judgment will occur, and heaven begins. But uh, there's a lot of problems with that. We won't even get into that. Verse 5, the rest of the dead. Those who did not come to life, literally did not live, I think must refer to those who refused the genuine life that God offered to them. These are the non-Christians of the world. Those who refused to obey Christ. Christians reign and judge these by their own obedience and proclamation of the gospel. Those who refuse the gospel prefer Satan's lies over truth. Now, let's look at that first resurrection. The mention of a first implies something to us. If there's a first, that means there's going to be a second Note that the first is experienced by Christians. It is the experience of genuine life in the forgiveness of sins. In baptism, we experience a spiritual resurrection. See Romans 6:1 through 7 for that. The second resurrection would be the physical one that will bring all people before Christ in judgment. Now, we'll come back to that in a little bit. Verse 6, second death. The mention of a second death, again, implies there's a first death. The second death is defined for us in verse 14 as the lake of fire, which is a clear reference to eternal punishment. Again, only those who experience the first resurrection are exempt from the second death. Death. In other words, those who come to the true life in Christ, obedience to him, have no worry about hell. Remember that. Priests of God are also mentioned in verse six. Christians are now during our time here, in our earthly lifetimes, were priests. And again, the thousand years must be the gospel age. That this fits the text all throughout Revelation the best, folks. And so we've looked at uh, verses 1 through 3, that's before the 1,000 years. 4 through 6, during the 1,000 years. Now let's read verses 7 through 10 after the 1,000 years. And I'm going to remember to read the text for you. Sorry about that on the second part. All right, verse 7. When the 1,000 years are completed, Satan will be released from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together for the war. The number of them is like the sand of the seashore. And they came up on the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. And fire came down from heaven and devoured them. And the devil, who deceived them, was thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are also, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. First, don't forget, this is a vision. It's a picture being painted to help us understand something. Okay, So verse 7, he had the Satan released from his prison, this prison, has to refer to the binding, him being bound. When the gospel age is over, he will, in a sense, be released. Verse 8. What? Why is he being What's going to happen when he's released? To deceive the nation. It shows the purpose of his being released. Remember, spiritual visions of reality... There is no literal chain and not a literal thousand years. In like manner, we are seeing a picture of Satan uh, deceiving that helps us to see the reality of what is to ultimately happen. The nations refers to everyone who has lived on earth in disobedience to God. And then you have Gog and Magog mentioned there. These are the names taken from Ezekiel chapter 38 and 39. Ezekiel sees a uh, a hypothetical king, Gog, and a hypothetical nation, Magog, and their allies waging war against God's people. God intervenes by sending a rain of fire, hell, and brimstone. The message for Israel was simply that whatever the worst possible scenario might be, God will take care of it. So, back here in Revelation, John sees the hypothetical Gog and Magog again. He brings them up as being all who oppose God in the history of the world. Satan deceives them one more time into believing they are superior to God and assembles them for one last battle, right? And so they're surrounding the camp of the saints there in verse 9. It looks hopeless. All's lost. Just like with Elijah, or not Eli- Elisha and his servant. Remember when uh, um, some foreign government came to, to take out Elisha? They were going to kill him, so his, his town was surrounded by the chariots, and Elisha's servant saw that and thought, oh, man, all's lost, so Elisha prayed that his servant might see the truth, that his eyes might be open, and then he could see the army of God, the angel, host of angels, surrounding those armies. It may have looked in the, the in the here and now like they were going to lose, but the reality was God was going to win. So the broad plane mentioned in verse 9 is interpreted by, by millennialists as being Palestine, figuratively, it might be, but it only depicts a place where Satan's forces are arrayed against God's people. Satan has deceived his followers into thinking that victory is theirs, but in reality, God has them right where he wants them. It is the final judgment. Fire comes from heaven. And they're gone. They can't win. They may make it look like they're going to win. And, and doesn't it feel like that sometimes for us when we look out there in the world thinking, how in the world? This is the worst it's ever been. Every every generation feels like it's the worst it's ever been. Yeah, maybe it looks like they're they're winning, but they've, they've already lost. Those who follow Satan will lose. It doesn't matter how much it looks like they're winning, how much Satan can make it look like he's winning in this world, He's already lost, and he knows it. He knows it. And what's going to happen to those who are lost? They're going to be thrown into the lake of fire. This is the eternal punishment reserved for Satan and for all those who follow him. See, Matthew 25, 41 and 46 for that. Hell is a real place. You will not be obliterated into nothing. Those who go to hell will live there. You will live eternally. You will live forever. everyone is looking for a life eternal you know to live forever you you will this body that we have now won't live forever but you will will you live forever in heaven or are you going to live forever in the lake burning with fire? you well, know I don't want to live there. I better listen to what God has to say now while we're here. Now, verses 11, is it to the end of chapter 15? Yep, 11 to 15, this is the judgment scene. Let's read the text. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat upon it, from whose presence earth and heaven fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, the great and the small, "...standing before the throne, and books were opened." And another book was opened, which is the book of life. "...and the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every one of them, according to their deeds." Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Verse 11. The great white throne. This is the throne of righteous judgment. Christ, or God, sits to judge all humanity. Earth and heaven fled away. All right. This is the end. This is a reference to our earthly existence when heaven will pass away and earth is destroyed. Second uh, Peter 3, 10-13 makes that clear. This vision depicts the grim reality for those who live on, live only, I'm sorry, for the things of this realm. What they spent their lives in pursuing is eventually removed from the presence of God as worthless. What are we living for? Now, there's nothing wrong with having stuff. I like doing the radio program. I like my computer. I like Christmas and seeing my kids open presents. But these things are just to make life a little more interesting in the here and now. But they are not what we ought to be living for. We ought to be living for God. And you can determine what you're living for based on what your goals are in life. What is your goal? Is it just retirement is it to make sure you put enough away before retirement? It's good to do that. Good to be prepared. But if that's your ultimate goal, to what end? Your ultimate goal ought to be pursuing the things of God and preparing for that day. If you knew, if you knew that after christmas we'll, we won't do it this Friday or you know or Monday. We'll, we'll say after Christmas. Friday next week, after Christmas is over. If you knew that Jesus was returning and that was the end and there's going to be judgment that day what would you do you'd prepare for it right you'd be getting ready he can come at any time how much time do you need to get ready to stand before God well you know what we know what we ought to do it's in God's word he tells us what we ought to do verse 12 of revelation 20 The dead, all who ever lived on earth, are now standing before the throne in order to give an accounting of their life on earth. And so these books, plural, were open. These contain a record of the deeds done in the flesh. Another book, singular, is called the book of life, appears to be a record of all the names of those who received life while in the flesh, those who will be in heaven. Verse 13 tells us uh, uh, that, C gives up the dead, Uh, depicts the resurrection. Jesus said in John 5, 28, 29, that there is only one resurrection, not the supposed, uh, two supposed by the millennialist. Note, Jesus' reference to an hour is coming of both the righteous and the unrighteous. That's from that passage. 14, death in Hades. The end of death and the the end of the Hadean realm, uh, or the grave. These are thrown into eternal destruction. Christians no longer fear them or experience them, heaven will be life without end. So no need for death. No need for the Hadean realm. That's the waiting place for those who, are, who already died. They go to the Hadean realm to wait for judgment day. So those things are gone. And then verse 15, book of life, where the names of the saved are recorded. If your name is not found there, then your destiny is the lake of fire. No one whose book of deeds is opened up can be judged righteous. None. Now, I know we talked about this uh, when we were looking at the 144,000 from Revelation. And so many people try to say, well, that's how many people are going to heaven. Or they try to determine, well, th- this is the amount of people going to heaven. And, or we don't know. All the people who do this will go to heaven. I'll tell you exactly how many people are going to heaven. The Bible tells us this. Maybe you're listening to this show, you haven't heard me bring this up, but I can tell you, I know for one, for certain, 100%. And you may be thinking, Chris, there's no way. This is ridiculous. You can't possibly know this. I can. And when I tell you and explain to you why, how I know, you'll know and agree. It makes sense. Here's how many people are going to heaven. Are you ready for the number? Because I can't, I'm going to give you a number. One. That's right. Just one is going to heaven, and that is Jesus. He is the only one who has earned the right because of the way he lived. And so if you want to go to heaven, you can't do it. But you can be baptized into Christ and be in his body and take on his life and his spirit in obedience to him. So in other words, we're hitching a ride. Through him. He's the only way. He's the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me, he said. How true that is. And so if you want to go to heaven, you got to be in Christ. So we looked at verses five and six. You got that first resurrection Christian participation? Yes. Ungodly participation? No. Then the second resurrection Christian participation? Yes. Ungodly participation? Yes. First, death. Christian participation? Yes. Ungodly participation? Yes. Second, death. Christian participation? No. Ungodly participation? Yes. Where do you want to go? I want to go to heaven. I want to be with Christ and the Lord forever. And I'm going to prepare for that day right now now i'm going to prepare for that more than anything else and even though i may look out there in the world and at times get de- despondent because of how everything is go- everything's going god's word always encourages me to let me know satan's already lost don't let the things of this world get you down you've already won as long as you keep on keeping on for the lord keep that in mind Take a look at the book of Revelation, especially chapter 20. See if these things are so. Gnaw on this for a little bit. And I pray you have a wonderful Merry Christmas. And may the Lord bless you and help you in all your ways through his Word. Thank you for being here. And have a great day.
1: Sin and doubt to sweep away till she'll the better day.
0: Ring it, out, ring it out, ring it out, ring it out, till the sinful world be won for Jehovah's mighty Son. Ring it out, ring it out, ring it out. This program was sponsored by North Valley Church of Christ.